This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Derek Dorch of the Diversa Group, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. Now your host, Derek T. Dorch. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. We're glad you stopped by the show. We're always glad to have you. But I wanted to kind of talk about this unique organization that's going on right now called the Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. It started by Ambassador Bonnie Jenkins, and we have, a, we have the honor of having her on with us right now. But this is a unique organization that's very much so about promoting women who are working on national security and, and international development and international affairs issues. And so I wanted to talk about this right now in terms of the importance of women in this community and making sure that the voices are heard, making sure that women are promoted, making sure that women are at the highest levels of government or international governmental organizations or NGOs and everything else to make sure that they're working on these peace and security issues going forward. Ambassador Jenkins, very, very happy to have you on Fed Access. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me and and, uh, providing me an opportunity to talk about WCAPS. Without question. You know, hey, you, you have a unique, a, a very, very stellar background. I encourage everybody to go to WCAPS, which is WCAPS.org. Go to WCAPS.org and make sure you check out uh, what they're doing. And also make sure you check out Ambassador uh, Jenkins' background. Uh, but you have a number of different things you've done. You know, everything from being a special envoy, you know, uh, promoted by the, uh, President Obama to work on counter and threat reduction programs in the Bureau of Security and Nonproliferation at the Department of State, and then kind of working on uh, threat reduction you know, efforts for the U.S. in certain time periods, and then everything from there for where you're working now with your own organization, but also an adjunct professor at Georgetown University. And I'll just tell you a little bit, I used to uh, work at Georgetown University as well, Ambassador, a long time ago. I used to be the assistant director at the Career Center back at Georgetown University in the Levy Center. You probably know that area well. And so... I used to kind of be there working with SFF and all the other kind of pieces as well. So, you know, good to see another fellow Georgetown uh, a person in the, in the ranks right here. And so with all those kind of things, tell me a little bit about why you started. I mean, because you spent that time in State Department, you spent time in uh, uh, different kind of organizations and everything else. Why did you start WCAPS? Why did you start the Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security? Did you see uh, a certain kind of need or did you kind of see a certain kind of frustration with women in the ranks? Um, thanks for the question. Uh, actually, there were a couple of reasons. One, there certainly was a need. And, you know, I've been working in the field of international security, uh, foreign policy for many years. That's how I, you know, started in the early 90s. And throughout all the years that I've worked in these in, in the fields, particularly in what they call hard security issues, which are nonproliferation, um, chemical, biological, nuclear weapons, there really uh, was a dearth of representation of people of color. Um, there were certainly fewer women when I started. There's more women now in the field, which is positive, and I'm seeing more young women getting into it. But in terms of people of color, certainly, you know, I went through all of my career, and I can pretty much count on 10 fingers, if not five, the number of people of color I've worked on who are on a professional level. Not counting people who are in school or anything like that. I'm talking about my universe, which is mainly uh, policy, uh, but just very few. And after that many years, I started to say, you know, we need to do something about this because, you know, um, and if something's going to be done, I think, you know, somebody who is who is diverse in this field needs to start something and, and start the conversation and not only think about um, that we need more people in the field and people of color, but how do you make it happen? 
Right. Um, and that's how I started to think about the different aspects of uh, starting an organization, but the different parts of it that you've mentioned, which is looking at the whole person and getting that person into the field. The other reason is because so many times I've run into women of color who say I'm the only one. And you still hear that quite often. I'm the only one. I'm the only woman. I'm the only, only person of color. I'm the only black person, uh, you know, in many of these areas. And, you know, and I said, well, we need to have a network. We need to have a network of women. So everyone doesn't realize, doesn't feel that they're by themselves, that they can see who else is in here in these fields. But also when you do that, you also develop a, a, a support system, which is so important to keep people in the field so that they're not feeling like they're by themselves and they don't have anyone to turn to when you when they experience unique things uh, as people of color. So it was both, as you said, it was both the need um, and also a frustration, but also realizing that if this is going to change, we have to look at the whole person to get them into these fields and keep them into these fields. You know, as you kind of have saw this kind of scenario, right, what do you think has been the holding factor for getting more people of color and more women into these fields? I mean, do you think, and of course, I mean, we have a number of different issues we're dealing with right now, right? Whether it be racism and nepotism, the different isms that are always of concern for all of us kind of going forward, right? Um, but has it been a dynamic that the exposure um, you know, sometimes the exposure level has not been provided for uh, people of color, hey, that these opportunities are available for you and you should begin looking at international affairs. And I, I came from an HBCU ambassador and I went to Tuskegee University. And I just kind of remember about, you know, the difference between sometimes of how much we did not get exposed to maybe international affairs issues as much at Tuskegee. Nothing. I mean, I had a great time at Tuskegee, but I'm just kind of reflecting back on my time. Do you feel like there, that we need to probably expose more people of color to these careers and let them know that there's this whole world that you may, that you may be missing out on? Yes, I certainly think uh, exposure is a big part of it because I can say for myself, I did not uh, even gain a real interest in these issues until after I had graduated with my law degree and my first master's. I had a joint degree and I, and I uh, went down to Washington to work. And it was after I was already in the Washington, D.C. area working at the Pentagon that I really got exposed to a lot of these issues. I didn't grow up in a, with a family who were in, in, engaged in these issues, who worked in these issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom and dad was not a foreign service officer. Um, so really, there was no exposure. Um, and, I, and I'm from the Bronx. And so there's no exposure at all to these issues of international relations or foreign policy. So a lot of it is exposure. Um, and I and realized already that that does make a difference, um, seeing younger people getting involved in these issues. Of course, another problem is um, the challenges of getting, if you're in the field, like I said, being by yourself, not seeing enough role models who look like yourself. Um, these are all things that are all discouraging. Um, and then, you know, microaggressions or other things that are going on when you're in these fields that can lead to people leaving. Mm-hmm. So it's a problem of exposure, bringing them in and then keeping them in. You know, you had a unique background because you also spent some time in the military and thank you for your service. But you um, you really kind of had a unique experience where you went and you did your naval service time, retired from that. How do you think that that kind of also impacted in terms of helping you see things uh, uh, at a little bit more of a national security level at, you know, in terms of the higher level of government and everything else Was that perspective very, very valuable for you? I think it certainly was. I mean, it definitely put me in a situation where I I gained a new perspective um, Mm -hmm. on issues. You know, as we go through life, we have different experiences. It helps to shape the way in which we see things. Um, And I think that the military background 
um, having that perspective, understanding the military culture, um, uh, seeing things from a military lens, from a strategic lens, from a different type of lens, and for example, State Department, I think it certainly helped to uh, create a more of appreciation of issues like national security and international security um, and uh, international relations, because I did have that lens uh, uh, starting many, many years ago and had it developed through the many experiences that I've had. So I agree that it has helped a lot. So a question. You know, I always talk to people about kind of mentorship and championship. Did you, um, and, I, and it sounds like you're a mentor and a champion for a number of different uh, people of color and women who are, you know, definitely trying to get into this field of international security and international affairs and national security. Um, did you ever have a, a, a person who was a mentor and champion that really kind of gave you uh, some, some very, very strong stepping stones or a good foundation for you to kind of do what you're doing today? Yes, I did. And actually, my the, my, the one person who I point to the most uh, is actually not a person of color at all. He's a, he's a, a white man who was, um, when I was doing my first fellowship at the Pentagon, um, he was there and I was at the Office of International uh, Law. Um, he really encouraged me to get into the field. I, I went to a meeting where they were talking about nuclear weapons issues and I fell in love with it. I was like, this is really interesting. I want to work on these type of issues. And at that time, there was really only one place to go as a lawyer if you wanted to actually do the legal work uh, for delegations that were no negotiating treaties. And he encouraged me uh, to be in it. And one thing I, I when I look back, uh, the thing that I that stands out to me is that, you know, I didn't really grasp how um, non-diverse the field was, um, how few women, how few people of color. And I was also uh, pretty young at the time. Um, and I, maybe if I had known that, I might have been a little more discouraged to get into it. I would have been, why am I doing this? I don't see anyone who looks like myself. Mm-hmm. But um, at no time did he say, you know, you should think about this. Or you should worry about this. So these are things. He just encouraged me. At no point did he said, you know, you're young and, you know, you, you're, you're African-American and you're a woman. You're going to be dealing with these things. Um, and he just made me feel like, just do it. You can do this. Um, and. So I think I look back to, at, at that as really a turning point because I could have very easily gone in and saw the field and said, crazy. Right. <laughs> right. But, right. but I didn't. And I, 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 I really thank him for that. Well, you know, you touched on a very, very valuable point and, and, and I'm probably, probably sure that you are also doing it with your organization. There's a dynamic in terms of, as you mentioned, it may not always be a person of color, but it may be those advocates, right, who are maybe white males or whoever the case is, who may also see the value of diversity or the value of people of color in their organization kind of going forward. Is that something that you have been working on in terms of just kind of helping people see the value, uh, you know, where people uh, kind of, you know, say, well, you know, maybe a person of color doesn't have this kind of background or education, this, that, and the other, but someone who takes a whole different opposite and pro say, listen, let me kind of help mentor, guide, and, and, and really kind of get them in the door because we need to have uh, people of color in, this, you know, in a world of color. We need to have them at the table going forward. Are you kind of also working on those issues as well? Yeah, and that's, and that's a very big part of, of, of progression and movement is having allies and having uh, people who are not women of color but who understand the mission. I mean, the organization is open to anyone um, who believes in the mission and the goals of WCAPS and understand mm-hmm. the importance of having diverse voices uh, to make better policies uh, for all of America and, and internationally as well. So we certainly encourage those kind of relationships. 
uh, uh, with people who are allies with us, uh, and we and we always make a point of that. And it's actually something that, you know, we have often been asked the questions of what makes a good ally and things like that. And so we've also been thinking about how we can do more of that in our organization because we do have quite a few people who are not women of color who have been very supportive and are even some of our mentors in our mentorship program. Sure, sure, sure. Ambassador Jenkins, we got to take a quick break. When, I, when we come back, I want to start getting into some of the working groups and some of the other great things that your organization is doing going forward. We're going to take a really, really quick break. We're talking to Ambassador Bonnie Jenkins. She is the founder of the what's called the Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. It's called WCAPS. And you can find it at WCAPS or WCAPS.org. A great website. They're doing a lot of great things. Uh, the initiative in terms of really kind of advancing uh, you know, women and advancing people of color in the business of peace and security issues is something that's very, very much so needed right now and kind of going forward. And we're talking to her about her organization, what they're doing, and the different kind of initiatives they have. And we'll be talking about some events they have coming up very, very soon. We're going to take a really, really quick break, and then we'll be right back to continue this conversation. Listen to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch from Federal News Network. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch from Federal News Network. If you're just joining us, we are having a very, very interesting conversation about women of color advancing peace and security. That's the topic of the show, but it's also the name of an organization. And you can find them at WCAPS.org or WCAPS.org, a unique organization founded by Ambassador Bonnie Jenkins, who used to be an ambassador for the State Department, a special envoy working on nuclear security issues. And she founded this organization to very much so really kind of, you know, almost kind of promote and, and encourage the dynamic of women of color or people of color to really get into the business of national security, international security, international affairs, and all the other kind of critical issues that work on peace and security issues around the world. We're talking to her about our organization right now, but I encourage you to check out the website and about what some of the great things they're doing. Ambassador Jenkins, you know, you, you've got a, a whole bunch of different programs, you know, very much so amazed about how much you've got going on. You've got all these working groups, and it sounds like you've got a number of good people who are kind of coming on board to your organization and kind of chairing working groups and everything else. Give us a little bit of background about some of the working groups and some of the good work you're doing with that right there. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, one of the things that I had wanted to do when I first started the organization in 2017 is provide a mechanism for uh, women who are experts in different areas of peace and security to have a platform to have discussions uh, and to do programs just on those areas. And so we started develop, developing working groups on some of these issues. Now, when, I, when we say peace and security, we, we broadly define it to include everything from climate change and infectious disease all the way to what they call hard security, which is weapons of mass destruction issues. So we have about 13 working groups that we have right now. We're probably going to have a couple more. And each one of these working groups, and you'll see if, you go, if anyone goes to the website, uh, is an opportunity to do some substantive discussion. So each one has a couple of uh, co-chairs. Uh, some, of the leadership, some of the leadership of the different working groups varies in terms of size, but they meet on a regular basis. They usually have monthly meetings. They have programs um, on these particular issues. Sometimes the working groups have joint programs. Last night, we had a program with the International Development Group and the Defense and Intelligence uh, Working Groups, and they had a joint uh, discussion about um, de about development and national security. So, yeah, it's an opportunity to do that, um, and people can see them on the website. But we really wanted, like I said, I really wanted to have an opportunity for the experts to, 
to zero in and focus on policies from the perspective of women of color. Without question. And you know, you have an interesting thing, kind of a hashtag I saw that redefining NatSec, which is kind of redefining national security. Talk to me about that. And I see you that you've been, uh, you're part of your team on that area has been publishing a bunch of very, very good papers, you know, everything from about the Peace Corps and COVID-19 to policy papers by women of color and everything else. Tell me more about the redefining NatSec or redefining national security. What's that about? Um, well, that's based on um, another thing that I was thinking in 2017 is so much of uh, what we're doing in, in, in WCAPS is really questioning a lot of the definitions of national security as they stand and uh, questioning how the definition of security has come about, who has defined national security for all Americans, and questioning whether these definitions include voices of all Americans whether they include the voices of women and people of color, because these definitions have really been a reflection of the way in which uh, white men have perceived security threats. Mm-hmm. And they don't really reflect um, the security threats faced by all Americans. So it's the idea that if you are you know, a, a young black man growing up in the inner city, your threats will be different from a white man who grows up in Wall Street. You know, and yet it's the matter that really defines things. And it's important because how we define security is often how money is spent. It's often where money goes for like the national security strategies that are developed by by administrations. That determines, for example, how money is spent in terms of different areas. So it has a lot of implications. Uh, And so that's why we want to question that uh, to see is there a better definition that can exist. You know, you bring some very, very powerful issues, and I can appreciate that. I'm I'm a young man from Detroit, Michigan, and and one thing my parents really encouraged me was to get out of Detroit. And you know, if you kind of remember the old days of Detroit, Detroit was you know kind of going through some hate the heydays in which you know the drug trafficking and everything else. And my parents very was much, hey, get out of Detroit, go somewhere else. And you know, that's why I joined the military and also went down to Tuskegee to get a little bit of a different experience. So what you're speaking on is very, very powerful about our viewpoint where we kind of come from. And many times we don't see the international community or don't see what's going on. And there are many people who are defining these issues uh, who, who really are not taking our voices into consideration. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you think about this kind of whole dynamic, right? And, and this kind of goes into, you know, the world has always been a world of, of color, right? The world, of, you know, whether it be Africa, whether it be Asia, you know, whether it be, you know, different parts of the world has always been very much so a colorful world of people. You know, why do you feel this has taken so long for us to really begin to have these kind of conversations? Uh, and any of that, and there's always been conversations about diversity, but it's sometimes it's just kind of been talk, and it has not been serious in terms of implementation into federal agencies, into the think tank community, into the academia community, and everything else. Why do you feel there has been such a long kind of journey to get where we are, possibly even today, and we still have a long way to go? Um, I think because it's easy for the predominant culture to want to believe that there are no problems. Um, I think that um, people of color have been saying for many, many years, decades, you know, since the beginning of America, um, that there are problems in terms of the way in which people of color are treated uh, in America. Um, But I think it's easy if you're not being, if you're not in a situation to pay attention to it for a short time, but then go back to the status quo because the status quo is easier. It favors certain uh, certain groups. 
Um, and those are the same group who are pretty much keeping the culture the way it is. So I think that um, you have to change the minds of those who are in, who are keeping culture um, consistent. Um, and I know when I started my organization in 2017, you know, I was starting to have a number of these kind of conversations, not only in my area, which is one of the first ones I had conversations about, which is in hard security, but overall in all these peace and security issues. And it was slowly getting traction and people were getting interested. But it was really not until after George Floyd uh, murder last year, as you know, that when things started, people, at least in Washington, D.C., I'm not as aware mm-hmm. outside, but these conversations really started. And it was a moment for, and I'm sure people will always analyze for years about why people were wo- were woke all of a sudden. Um, and I think the issues can range everything from people were home because of COVID-19 and people were mm-hmm. seeing it. I'm sure there's a ton of reasons, but it has seemed to create a desire for change. Um, and of a hope, at least for those that want change, that something will happen. Now, the question is sustainability and whether it will continue or will we go back to what is comfortable for those who are in charge, which is the status quo. And then we can still keep asking the questions that you're asking, which is why does it take so long? But trying to change culture is hard and it takes consistency, uh, focus and sustainability because you're up against something that everybody in America has grown accustomed to and used to um, since they were born. Without question, without question. You know, I know you were part of the, uh, uh, I think the trans, you were part of the transition team for the, for President Biden, correct? In terms of looking at certain kind of issues and everything else going forward. Do you feel that the current administration is, is, is on target in terms of looking at these issues? And, and I, you know, of course we've seen um, some heavy diversity. I mean, the first Native American, uh, you know, kind of to be a, a, a you know head of a, a department. Um, you know, uh, uh, we see the UN ambassador, a uh, woman of color. Uh, we see a number of different people who are, you know, who are very much so in there. Do you feel like this, and also the vice president as well? Do you feel like this administration is on point in terms of really kind of promoting uh, uh, people of color, you know, women and everything else into these different positions? Um, well, certainly, I think that we are um, making all the right steps. Um, I think um, we're seeing a lot more firsts in a lot of positions, um, positions that have not traditionally been held by people of color or by women. Um, so I certainly believe that we are headed in the right direction. Um, but as I said, culture is, is something that we have to keep working at. And I think that's true for um, for all of us, that we have to keep working at it. So. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's continuing to fight the fight and uh, keep it moving in a good direction. Without question, without question. Ambassador Jenkins, we're going to take another quick break. When, I, when we come back, I want to kind of talk about this high school program. I love high school uh, students. Uh, I love the whole kind of conversation about them. So I want to talk about what you are doing for the young people to really get them encouraged in this area. Then we'll kind of keep on going with more topics as well. But I want to kind of discuss that critical issue right there because our young people are our future going forward. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking about WCAPS and WCAPS is the Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. And as Ambassador Jenkins said, peace and security involves everything from climate change to human rights issues to, you know, the the softer topics all the way to the hard topics of national security, maybe terrorism, conflict, and everything else kind of going forward. So they cover a full gamut of issues going forward that a person should be very, very so concerned about. And so what WCAPS is doing is putting these working groups together to really begin doing research and analysis and, and, and discussion 
on these critical issues and then also redefining national security in terms of what does it really mean in terms of national security and how do we define the role of national security and how do we define national security as a whole going forward. I encourage you to take a look at the website, wcaps.org or wcaps.org. We'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. If you just joined us, we've been having a very interesting conversation about women of color advancing peace and security. Yes, it's the topic of the show, but it's also an organization that is out there doing some unique things, some amazing things in my eyes, uh, in terms of really kind of advancing uh, women of color and people of color in the business of peace and security. And peace and security is not just talking about kind of the hard topics of, of nuclear security or things of that sort. Yes, that's also part of the conversation, but they're also talking about climate change, uh, pandemics and global health, uh, migration and immigration issues, human rights issues, and everything else in between kind of going forward. But this organization very much so promotes women and also people of color to get into this industry or get into this sector, I should say, in terms of working on national security, international security, international development issues going forward. We have on the line with us Ambassador Bonnie Jenkins, who's a founder of this organization, and we're talking about all the great things they're doing. Ambassador Jenkins, you mentioned about a program that you have that you are focusing on what we call the Gen Zers, um, the high school students, the young people, some people either in high school, college, and other areas. Tell us more about that. Yes, thanks. So we have something called a Gen Zer program, or we call it Gen Zep. And what it is is an opportunity to um, expose uh, young girls to issues of peace and security so that they can have, uh, so they can have it in their minds in a way um, at an early age. And maybe this will help to catalyze them to want to do some of these uh, things and get into some of these issues uh, later on in life, which is what we, we what, what we really seek and, and recognize we really need uh, to have more women of color in these fields. Um, so we have a program uh, and we just launched it a few months ago. Um, and one of the things that we do in, in, in addition to having programs for them is we uh, incorporate them into something we call the Pipeline Fellowship Program. And what this is is for a few months, like six months, once a month, we meet on a Saturday. And for four hours, we talk with them about issues of peace and security. We have somebody come in and brief them about a different topic, whether it's climate change or, or development. And then we spend time doing trainings with them about leadership, about mentorship, about writing, you know, all kinds of things like that. So it's a way in which we are, one, engaging them in the issues, but also helping to train them uh, to uh, to also enter the field and be better leaders in the future. Um, and so as part of our pipeline, we have something called the, the Young Ambassadors Program as well. And we also have something called the Mid-Career Hustle. So it's a it's a way of looking at uh, the, different, uh, the, different, the different challenges that girls and women face as they go through their careers. You know, as, as when you're having these kind of conversations, I talk to a lot of young people all the time, and sometimes you'll get a little bit bit of a pushback, right, in terms of kind of saying, listen, why should I be concerned about nuclear security? Why should I be concerned about cybersecurity? Why should I be concerned about what's going on with China or Russia or espionage or, you know, a, a human rights issues or illicit trafficking issues or whatever it is, or climate change or global health or whatever the case is? What do you say to young people when you get confronted with that question in terms of why should you be concerned about these different issues? Um, what I tell them is that um, knowledge is power. 
And if you're not aware of things and if you don't know what's happening, you there can be decisions that are made that could be to your detriment that you're not even aware of. In nuclear weapons issues, which seems very esoteric to some people, there were, in the 1950s, for example, when we were testing weapons uh, for our nuclear weapons program, a lot of the tests were being done on indigenous uh, people's lands. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was done there because it was, you know, the best place they figured they could do it. Um, there were no people who would be impacted who were part of those decisions. Um, and so to, to this day, they are still suffering from the effects of, radio, of radioactivity from those tests. When it comes to the impacts of the lack of peace and the lack of security, those who are most impacted are going to be women of color. Mm. You're talking about climate change, the climate migration that's going on right now. If you're talking about food security issue, issues, who's going to be the one, you know, getting up, walking miles to get food or miles to get water if it's a water security issues. What are the dangers these women are going to face or girls face in, in the process of getting that water and that food? Um, issues that we may not think have an impact should always be looked at in terms of, no, not me. Let's think about how it might. And let's mm-hmm. think about how it does. And we need to always question that and not assume that things don't because on the surface it doesn't. Because if we're not in those rooms and if we're not at those tables where decisions are being made, we can be affected and we won't even know it until it's too late. You know, that's a very, very powerful case in point. It, may, it makes me think about the Tuskegee experiment, right? It, it kind of makes me think about that dynamic. I remember at my day to Tuskegee, the old hospital, where actually the Tuskegee experiment was done, had not been torn down, but we were, you know, it was abandoned, but, you know, we could mm-hmm. see the old hospital and just kind of, you know, and that always a reminder of history of how, again, we went at the table and then, you know, how the abuses can happen mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, health issues and, and other issues kind of going forward. And you kind of saw the two parallels, right? I would, I would go out to Moton Field and see where the Tuskegee Airmen used to fly but then also see about the Tuskegee experiment as well. And those, mm-hmm. are, which kind of makes it an important case in point to what you're kind of talking about is that we got to be at the table kind of going forward in order to avoid these kind of travesty situations that in terms of people making decisions that are not in our best interest. You know, one thing that's really kind of been grabbing me of, uh, uh, as of late is really the dynamic of um, the violence against women, you know, in terms of, you kind of mentioned, you, you did on point in terms of, the number of women, women are always impacted the most with all these is- issues. Uh, two issues that have been really kind of grabbing my sh- you know, sh- heartstrings lately is, of course, violence against women. We saw that, of course, in the land and everything else, but also the violence against education in terms of, you know, women, you know, learning. Uh, uh, you know, we saw the Pakistan situation. We see Nigeria and other areas kind of going forward. Does your organization, in terms of your working groups, do you kind of deal with some of those kind of key issues in terms of kind of fighting that stuff or putting some good analysis towards those topics as well? Um, not as much. But, well, what I will say is um, one of the, as we, well, we're, going to, we're working on a new strategy because mm-hmm. uh, pretty much a lot of what was in the original strategy when we started three and a half years ago has pretty been accomplished. A lot of my visions for the organization I pretty much accomplished now. And so one of the things we're doing now, and I was actually had a really good conversation this morning about this is what we're going to be doing for going, going forward. Um, And some of the things we're going to be looking at is um, more community based. um, And I shouldn't say, well, these are just some of the things I'm thinking about Mm -hmm. Um, 
community engagement, more focusing on international issues in a way in which we can take advantage of our, our international reach as we continue to develop more chapters around the world, um, and also working uh, on issues regarding women on the ground, boots on the ground, some of the issues that they're dealing with, whether it's uh, education or, or refusal of education, whether it's women working in conflict areas. Um, so some of the things that we are going to be doing a lot more of is connecting the policy with the work that's being done on the ground. Uh, and that's how we can be get get more involved, not just internationally, but domestically too. That's how we can get more involved in the, some of those kind of issues um, uh, that you're raising right now. Yeah, I saw your section on the policy contributions, and that's why I asked about that kind of piece right there. I saw that you guys are moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, you're producing papers that are you know to, to, that are really kind of meant to get into those legislative bodies or those you know decision makers in order to kind of help guide them, right? Because you know there are many people who are trying to influence conversations. So I mean, I'm glad that you guys are also being a part of it. I mean, you ladies are being part of the table in terms of going forward. And so, with that being said. You mentioned about your international chapters. Tell us about your international chapters. I mean, where, where are you growing to? Well, that's another one of the, the visions I had, which I'm so happy is actually happening. Um, I had always hoped that this could be a, a global organization. Um, and so we are now reaching out. We have, as you probably know, our first chapter we established was in, was in the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, then we started to um, do number in the U.S. So we have one in New York, one in uh, California, one in Atlanta that we just opened up two months ago. Um, we also have one in France and one in Ghana. And we are in the process of opening four more. Um, one in Canada, one in Nigeria, one in Brazil, and one in Colombia. So we are continuing to grow. In addition, we have a number of working groups that have an international uh, flavor in terms of we have a, a Asia Pacific group, we have a Latin America and Caribbean working group. Um, and we have uh, um, another uh, working group that's uh, actually called SWANA, which is uh, Southwest Asia and North Africa. So um, we are definitely being much more global in what we're doing. You talked about the publications. I just want to go back to that just really quickly. Sure, please. Um, and that was another something that I, I really wanted to happen was uh, for us to publish because so often it's very difficult for uh, people of color to get published. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's often a tendency to publish the same people. Um, and so I wanted to give us a voice. Um, and so the publications have been really helpful in giving a voice to the way in which we think policy be, policy should go based on our perspectives. And one of the good things that's happened is that now that we've opened this door, I'm we're, we're seeing more organizations reaching out to WCAPs for women of color who could publish in their publications because they recognize the value of having these voice first uh, voices. So that has been really uh, helpful. And I wanted to just make sure I highlighted that as well. Oh, without question. And thank you for highlighting that. That's very, very powerful. Hey, we're going to take a quick break and we got a few minutes. We got, we'll be a little bit short on the last segment, but I want to discuss what's going on. you got a couple of events that are going on that are coming up, you know, towards the end of the month. And then also going forward, let's begin to t- discuss those events. We're talking about WCAPs. We're talking about the women of color advancing peace and security. I've got the founder, Ambassador Bonnie Jenkins, on the line with me right now. We'll talk about what the organization does. Make sure you go to the website, wcaps.org or wcaps.org, and check it out. Check out all the great things they're doing. We'll be right back after this break. You listen to Fed Access with Derek T. George from Federal News Network.
Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Deutsch on the Federal News Network. If you're just joining us, we are talking about women. We're talking about people of color. We're talking about women of color and also people of color being advanced in the areas of peace and security. And we say peace and security, we mean pretty much a wide spectrum of different issues, everything from climate change to global health issues, to human rights issues, to illicit trafficking issues, to terrorism, to nuclear security issues, and everything else. So it's a number of different issues that we're talking about, but making sure that people of color and also women are also at the table with, whether it be federal government agencies, international government organizations, nonprofits and NGOs or policy organizations, think tanks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, making sure that they're part of the conversation and have opportunities to have a voice in terms of critical decisions that are being made across the world. We're talking to Ambassador Bonnie Jenkins. She's the founder of this organization. Ambassador Jenkins, you've got a couple great events coming up. Uh, I know you've got one coming up uh, uh, pretty much uh, March uh, 30th. Uh, tell us about some of the events you've got, uh, one of your major virtual conferences coming up. Talk to us about some of the events you've got coming up. Yeah, thank you. So on March 30th and 31st, we have our annual meeting. We didn't have one last year because of COVID. Um, so we are happy to have one this year. And it's going to be uh, a number of things. One, it's going to be an opportunity for uh, anyone who wants to learn about the organization. We're going to have um, all of the working groups represented to talk about the work that they do. All of the chapters are going to have representatives talking about the work that they do. Um, our initiatives, uh, the pipeline uh, programs, uh, will be uh, will be represented uh, and 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 discussed for those who want to learn about that. Um, and we are also going to be talking about um, some other uh, things. Um, we're going to be going into the redefining national security work that we do, and then we're going to have things like trainings, um, as well as things that are on a social level. Uh, we're going to have an artist panel because part of the work that we do in WCAPS, we have an initiative called Arts and um, Art and Policy. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have some artists there as well. Uh, as, and then we're going to be doing things like uh, yoga. So it's going to be everything from substance to um, just kind of networking, um, meeting people, getting a feel of the organization. Uh, we'll have a happy hour as well. So and the, and the wonderful thing about it is that, um, you know, it's, it's on a platform called Hop In. So you can actually literally hop into different uh, discussions during the two days. Um, we're also going to have a publications panel that's going to talk about the publications we've had. Uh, we're going to have a global experts panel. That's where we're going to have the conversations with the chapters. Uh, we're going to have something called Tanya Talks, which is a TEDx talk uh, um, type thing. We're going to be showing during the day um, these kind of TEDx style talks by some of our, our members. Um, and then the last thing I'll mention is we're also going to have a What's New discussion, which is going to be talking about our future chapters, our future working groups, um, and other developments that's going on. So it's going to be uh, a lively two days from 11 to 4 each day, so it's not the whole day. Um, So really encourage people, they can go to WCAPS.org on the events page and um, get more information and sign up. That sounds like a very, very powerful thing. I'm going to have to make sure I attend some of these uh, uh, good conferences. Hey, hey, Ambassador, tell us a little bit more in terms of, I know you got the membership training. Talk to us a little bit more before we have to jump out of here um, about what the value for a person who's maybe interested in these fields, right? What's the value of membership to join WCAPS and what can they get with that kind of training and what, what else can they get as being a member of the organization? Well, the membership is free, which is great. Okay. So um, there is no charge. And as a member, you get to um, 
go to, there's a number of programs we have that are outward facing, which is for everyone. Then we have a number of programs that are just for our members, um, a number of talks, a number of trainings that are just for our members. You're on this amazing listserv where we, where we post jobs, we post events. Um, you can only be a part of that if you're part of the organization. Um, we have um, uh, a, a lot of uh, our mentorship program, which is a great mentorship program, which you can only be a part of if you're a part of the membership. Um, so we have, and of course, we have our more relaxing things like our happy hours. So by joining the organization, you get access to all of this. You learn about all these things that are, that are activities um, that are going on. Um, and so, and it's free. And so you get to join up to be part of the Genzer, the part of the Young Ambassadors. You can, you can join the working groups. Um, and these are things that are only open to members. Outstanding. Hey, you know, when you, when we talk about kind of, and I know, you know, we say WCAPs, but the membership is also open to men as well, right? If, you, if you're a person who supports what you're doing, it's also not just exclusive to women. It's, just, you know, it's open to men who uh, are of color, right? And also people who are basically supportive of what you're doing as well. Is that correct? Yes, it's open to anyone who is interested in the work and anyone who promotes the goals and visions of the organization. Outstanding, outstanding. Hey, we got about 60 seconds. Any last kind of comments about, you know, kind of what you're doing, the advancement of of this work and everything else before we kind of have to get out of here? I would just like for people to visit the website, wcaps.org. There's a lot to learn about. There's a whole other thing we're doing called Organization and Solidarity which we didn't talk about, but that's something else people may want to hey, hey, t- t- Tell us about real quick. Tell us about it real quick. Um, that's just a, that's an effort by over 250 organizations to find ways to prevent racism and discrimination. And we launched it after the George Floyd um, killing. And so we are working on 12 commitments that organizations are committed to, to work together as a group to prevent racism and discrimination. We'll have to have you back and discuss that a little bit more in detail. I'm, I'm very, very excited to hear about what you're doing with that kind of stuff. A lot of great initiatives. Ambassador Bonnie Jenkins, she's the founder of WCAPS, the Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. Again, the website, wcaps.org, wcaps.org. Check out the website, see all the great things that are going on. A lot of powerful initiatives that are happening going forward that I think many people should be excited about getting involved in. Ambassador, thank you so much for being on Fed Access. You know, we, you'll definitely be back and we'll talk about more about all the other kind of things you're doing as well. OK, well, thank you. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. Tune in Monday afternoons at one or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. Right now, Amazon is offering some amazing extra perks that come with a job offer. If you start a warehouse job, you can get a $1,000 sign-on bonus. That means you start earning a paycheck right away, plus you get extra cash to use before the holidays. Applying is so easy, you don't even need an interview. It's never been so rewarding to start an hourly job that's close to home. So what are you waiting for? To join the team today, visit Amazon.com slash sign-on bonus. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone.
Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.